Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jared Pickney, and today I'm joined by the owner and operator of Baloo's Barbershop, Jerry Baloo. Jerry, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So, Robert, uh, Jerry and I, I know you just met Jerry, and I kind of yep. just met Jerry as well. Like we, I was at the gym um, last week, wasn't it? Yep. And you were locked out. If I'm not mistaken, oh, I forgot you my forgot key fob. Key yeah, fob, I forgot man. my fob, and I was just like, "Oh man, it's one of those mornings." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I let you in. And, yeah. I go to my workout later on. Uh, you were talking to Grant, and yeah. you're like, "Hey, this this nice fella here was you know, he let me in," and my of course my brother Grant was like, "Oh, that's my bro," and mm-hmm. so we got talking a little bit, and uh, you have a very interesting story. And uh, so immediately within like five minutes, I was like, all right, stop, time out. Don't tell me anymore. I want you to come on the podcast. And so um, we got a chance to catch up a little bit more later. I went and got a cut, a haircut. There we go. Uh, at your barber shop, Looking that was sharp. pretty dapper nice. over there, buddy. That was Looking nice. Very sharp. Over Thank yes. you very much. My beard smells nice. I got a little <laughs> beard bomb in there. So, man, Jerry, tell me how you got here. Tell me a little bit about your story. Well, how I got to Paragold. Um, believe it or not, is uh, rooted in mixed martial arts. So I started fighting. Something you don't hear most people say, by the way, when they're like, how did you get to Paragold? Right, right. (laughs) I started fighting in uh, 2012, late 2012. And um, it was something, mixed martial arts was something, it was an outlet for my soul. Um, I was in kind of a dark place, and I needed a place for my energy to go. And you say you're in a dark place, like you're talking about just like emotionally, or emotionally, like mentally. You know, characteristically, my my character was massively flawed. Um, my outlook on life was pretty dark at the time. Um, was that something that? Uh, like you grew up with or that came later in life? Um, believe it or not, it was it was deeply rooted from uh, my childhood on through my adult life. Um, I was basically adopted when I was between seven and eight years old. My biological mother decided to go out on a date and just never came back home. Mm. Um, there was a uh, – she was a school teacher – her name was uh, Romaine Watson. She lived across the cul-de-sac from me. And we lived in project housing in Marshall, Missouri. And uh, one day she came over and she was like, well, I hung out with her son. He was in my same grade. His name was Gino. And uh, we played basketball together, hung out together, you know, stuff like that. I always thought it was really cool over his house because he had a Nintendo. You know, he's had, you know, Doritos and soda and stuff. You know, I didn't have that kind of stuff. But So grew up poor. Yeah. Very. And dad was not in the picture? Negative. I, I didn't meet my biological father till I was almost 20 years old. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so dad went MIA early. Very. I was, the story, I, was, I wasn't I was even two years old. Okay. And he bounced out, yeah. And then mom, you're seven, it was like, same thing. Yeah. Um. So my, my biological parents weren't exactly made out of champion stuff, mm-hmm. but... Um, so one day Romaine came over and she was like, Hey, you want to come stay the night with me? And Gino, I'm like, well, yeah, he's got games, you know, I can stay up and Doritos. Yeah. Doritos. Yeah. Love Doritos back then. You can't tell now, but, (laughs) um, 
so I was over there for a while, and of course, you know, I took some clothes over and kept going over and getting clothes, and, you know, I was going to school, things like that. One day I came home from school, and there was a uh, moving van out in front of my apartment. And obviously, I'm just like, I go over there, I'm kind of hysterical. I'm like, you know, put my stuff back, what are you doing? Here comes Mama Romaine crying from across the street, you know, saying, baby, you don't live here anymore. Dang. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? And she wow. goes, you live with me. Come to find out about a few weeks prior to that incident, uh, Romaine had made contact with my biological mother and, you know, got my shot record, social security card, birth certificate, all my belongings. And to keep me out of the system, I lived with Jeez. her. That was in your seven? Yeah. What was that like as a seven-year-old? Like, it was, well, obviously it turned my world upside down. Yeah. You know, I was just flooded with emotions. As a seven-year-old, you, you can't really comprehend or fathom the real-world complication of basically just being abandoned, just thrown away mm-hmm. like you were, you know, an old shoe. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was blessed, and uh, I'm, I, I'm not a very religious man. I tend to be spiritual. I should be religious because of all the blessings that I have in my life. But um, someone had put Romaine in my path mm. and um, helped me along. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was a school teacher in the summer times. Mm. She, uh, she had family in South Brighton Beach, Brooklyn, New York. That's where they were from. And uh, so the summer times I would leave with them. And go to Brooklyn. Well, uh, in Brooklyn, back then, in the early 90s, it was primarily an Italian facet. It was it was all Italian families. And my biology is Italian. So I just, it just kind of fit, you know. There was a barbershop on the corner of Neptune and South Brighton 3rd called Papa Remo's. And uh, that's where I hung out. There was a basketball court next door, sandwich shop across the street. You know, I had everything I needed. I hung out in there. And uh, that's that's where I got my love for the industry of being a barber. Like what did this, you like so much about that, that environment, being in the barber shop? It was, <laughs> no matter what group of people were in there at a time during the week, it was always a close, fun, you know, uh, locker room family atmosphere. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, just a bunch of wise guys sitting around, talking smack to one another, playing chess. You know, it was it was just, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. They, uh, Papa Rima was a leader in that community. He had started cutting hair during the Prohibition. And he was in, his, he was well into his uh, early nineties when, uh, he finally passed away. He passed away behind the chair. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he was, that place was just a beacon of love and leadership in that community. And if you wanted a job, a hug, something to eat, a haircut, you know, to get out of the weather, if you were thirsty, you know, you went to Papa Remo's. Dang. If you needed advice, if you needed anything, you know, even if you needed a butt kicking, you'd go to Papa Remo's. 
So in some ways, or a lot of ways, and that's been heavily influential in your life. Yes, it's transcended heavily into how I uh, run my barbershop and how I treat people and how I... uh, I try to go forward with my career. Yeah, I was in there. I guess a police officer came in whenever we were talking and you know, <laughs> struck up the conversation about the, the kid that stole something from from you and mm-hmm. <laughs> he gave him a job. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. I'm going to try to help you out if you need money that bad. Yeah. I mean, the kiddo, he was, he was just, he was lost. You know, he wasn't from around here. He was pretty new, you know, so he didn't really know about the barbershop. He just saw a place, you mm-hmm. know that he could take something and maybe go find himself something to eat. It wasn't just, you know, uh, a malice of forethought for him. It was, he was just trying to survive. So there was no reason for me to put the kid in jail and just, you know, him go from, you know, a bachelor's in petty theft to a doctorate and being something worse. So mm. why not try to give him a job and help him out and yeah, show him some kind of uh, direction? Sure. The- yeah. So, you're seven, your dad's left you, your mom's left you, you're now living with someone across the street. Mm-hmm. Um, in what way did that begin to impact? Kind of the original, kind of what led us to that was, you know, you talked about how uh, you found martial arts whenever you were in a dark place. So, do you look back at you, what happened? Like, do you think, like, you being abandoned, like, that at that, that point set you on a trajectory of, like, okay, like, this is not going to, it's not going to go well. Believe it or not, um, it was the exact opposite. <clears throat> when that happened to me, obviously, I was hurt. I was angry. I was confused. Mm-hmm. But Mama Romaine had showed me so much love and um, just she had given me everything I needed to be a good person mm-hmm. and convinced me that – I could go forward in my life and not have to worry about what had happened, but actually use it for something good. Mm. She taught me that everything that happens to you, you can definitely flip it and turn it into something positive. You don't have to hold on to it like baggage. Mm. You know, that's another reason why I'm not real nostalgic with things. You know, I'm just, you know, if it's redundant in my life and there's no need for it to be there, I just kind of, you know, push it aside and keep moving forward. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I try not to hold grudges. I try not to hold things on my shoulders because who needs that? Mm-hmm. And she she really taught me that. So honestly, you know, uh, moving forward, she uh, she gave me the best childhood I could have possibly asked for. And so you lived with her all the way through high school? Um, negative. Uh, so I had mentioned that I met my biological father when I was almost 20. Um, I should have said I didn't get to know him. Um, I actually met him for the first time um, going into my freshman year in high school. Um, he was living in Houston, Texas, just north of Sugarland, And um, he come down and decided that, hey, if you want to go to high school, you know, you can come up here with us. And I was like, all right, well, I'll talk to Mama Romaine and we'll just kind of see what happens. And um, I went ahead and went, I went down there and um, he worked security, so he was gone a lot. 
Um, I spent most of my days with his wife. Her name was Judy. Um, lovely person. We didn't get along right away, but she was she was a lovely person. Um, and I went to school. I found football. I uh, played all four years of high school football, and that was a lot of fun. And when I graduated, um, I mean, he didn't even show up to my graduation. It was mm-hmm. come to find out, honestly, all it was was he was titled, he was tired of pay, uh, paying child support, and he thought that if I was living with him, that that would stop. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't stop the back child support. Mm-hmm. So once he found that out, he didn't really want anything to do with me. Wow. It was just pretty much trying to just hurt all over again. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I think. That's what really cut me, mm-hmm. and you know the fact that uh, I think a lot of my trust issues came from that. That's when you're 18? Yeah. So then what, pick us up from there. Like at that point, like were you still pretty much like, man, walking, you know, pretty good path? Or were you already beginning to kind of stray and then that just kind of was the thing that took That, the more time I spent away from Mama Romaine and the more time I spent in a, I would say, a hostile atmosphere, I started to become part of it, mm. and I started kind of becoming moody and angry and really short-tempered. But um, football had given me an outlet, mm. and I was really good at it, really good at it, and ended up getting a uh, scholarship to play football at Missouri Valley College in Marshall, Missouri. Okay. Yeah. What were position? I started out as a nose tackle because I was a big guy, and um, – that was in high school. And then I lost like 30 pounds, gained two seconds on my 40, and then I started at fullback. And I was a fullback all the way through high school. And that's, oh, nice. Yeah. That's what I got, yeah. I'd like to see you line up against Robert here, see if Robert can take you down. Oh, boy. I, <laughs> I, I dressed out for football one day, broke my hand. That was enough. Did yeah, you really? That's what I did. Then I, I broke went, my hand several times playing football. Well, it only took one for me to, to it, send me over to play Jerry the Jerry didn't quit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is all you did was you wrapped it up and you kept playing. Oh, yeah. I, I cried and uh, went and told my mom. <laughs> <laughs> One of the many differences, I guess, little, between you two. Yeah, yeah. Got a little you, different. Gotcha, gotcha. So after college is uh, eventually, I know you ended up overseas. Is that right? Yeah. So was that uh, right after college? Huh? Was that right after college? It was. I was actually. I took a little time off. Um, I had a friend that I played football with, his dad worked on an oil rig out in the Gulf of Mexico. And I decided to take some time off, just kind of explore. And uh, this oil rig thing sounded like a an adventure to me because it was out in the ocean. Yeah. And, you know, um, he worked for a company called Marine Drilling. And it their rig, it was, it was a jack-up. There's different kinds of rigs, but a jack-up rig is basically – a boat on stilts okay so what they do is you got this big oil rig and you've got three uh three to four um legs on it and basically once it gets put into place they lower these legs down to the ocean bottom and it lifts the rig up off the ocean floor or up off the surface of the water and then they start drilling and then once you're done there they lower it down and move it to where they want it it's crazy yeah that's what you went and did? Yeah, I was a derrick hand for a while. A what? Derrick hand. What is that? That's basically I just helped him move pipe around. 
Did, old you, did you live on the boat? Yeah. How long were you there? Um, I was there for about six months or so. Dang, man. Um, but the hitches like were only ship, 30, 30 days on, uh, 30 days on, two weeks off, something like that. What's your living quarters like? Was this like one of those, like the blue, was it Blue Horizon or what's the one that? Uh, that was Deepwater Deep Horizon. Deepwater Horizon, yeah. sorry. Yeah. So my tool pusher. One like that? Yeah, my tool pusher that I worked with actually was on the Deepwater Horizon. Oh, wow. He wasn't on it when it uh, when they had the blowout, but he was one of the shifts that was working on it prior to it blowing up. That's the one, you know. Uh, was it BP? Whose was that? It was. It was BP. Yeah, yeah. That big oil spill out there in the Gulf. Yeah, yeah. They lost. Yeah, I think uh, Mark Wahlberg was did a movie or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in that movie. Yeah, and he wasn't was, actually on that ship though. No, he wasn't. <laughs> what was it like living on that ship? Um, believe it or not, it was at first it was pretty hostile because you got some <laughs> older it, guys actually, out there. Yeah. You get this new guy coming in, and, and there's always some kind of hazing. Um, you know, um, how do they haze you? Uh, there was you know some little you know pranks, pulls, stuff like that. You know, put some pudding cups in my bunk, or you know, throw something in my boots. You know, it, it just everybody does it. It it wasn't that they were picking on me. It yeah. was just, you know, it's initiation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, by the time I got off the rig, we were all pretty good friends. Okay. So, you get off the rig. Where do you go from there? I got off the rig, and um, I had some family contacts from, you know, all over. And um, I had a friend of a friend that they were actually doing applications and hiring for um, operators for uh, a security detail for a uh, military contractor. So explain that. Well, basically what a military contractor is, is they're contracted to go overseas and just provide security. So like... any sort of background you need to do that, or usually, well, see now they usually prefer that you have military experience. Okay. Um, back then, there was a actual camp and course you could go through that helped you uh, gain experience to take a post. And it's long, it's lengthy. Uh, you have several panels you have to go through. You know, you've got um, your site. Psychological profiles, you've got background checks, all that kind of stuff. You got to pass so many tests. It takes months to even get an interview. So, was that that way when you were going through, or has they've changed since then? Um, I don't know if they've changed since then. Now it's easier for them just to hire military. Okay. Um, they don't, as far as I know, they don't hire civilians anymore. Okay. Yeah. If you're a civilian, they're hiring you basically to give security at the base. Yeah, well, so it wasn't at a base. It was just basically um, you had outposts that were that belonged to the U.S. and just somebody, honestly, to stand guard at a gate is all they needed, okay. and that's what I did for several years. Where at? Um, Kandahar, Afghanistan. Yeah, it was. <laughs> was that exactly what you were thinking? Like, is that where you thought you'd go whenever you signed up? Because that's. Like one of the more hostile places in the world. That's right? exactly what. And some of these, I mean, you have to understand that there's actual military personnel around you all the time, you know. And these guys know what they're doing, you know. We're civilians out there holding M4s, just basically watching a gate and reporting in every hour on a radio, 
you know, just a glorified security guard, overpaid security guard, honestly. So tell me about that, though. You find out you're going to Afghanistan. What was the trip like over there? Like you catch a flight, a commercial plane? Like how's that yeah, work? so you go to where I was when I went back to Missouri. There's an Air Force base in Nobnoster uh, called Whiteman Air Force Base. And you got cleared to get on base. Uh, you weren't allowed to go anywhere but this certain building. And then once they were ready for you, you got on a plane and you left. And then you went where? Like what was the flight pattern? Where'd you go? So we went from there to Germany, from Germany to Afghanistan. Just like I have like a, uh, I guess like a run. Sometimes there, there was a few layovers, like okay. you'd have to stop in like LaGuardia or something like that. or Like where you, you fly know. in at Afghanistan? There was, uh, there's an Air Force base in Kandahar. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you fly in, first impressions? Um. Well, as soon as you get off the plane, you get... I mean, assaulted by the heat, obviously. It's insane. And it's just, everything's just super busy, super loud. People are yelling at you, telling you where to go. You know, confusion, confusion, confusion. But um, as a civilian, you're you're pretty, you're watched pretty closely, and, you know, you're told where to go. So, What was your sleeping uh, bunk like? Were you in a tent? Were you on like a No, it was, <laughs> it was basically just a big room, kind of about, the size of this room here, just made out of OSB or a particle board, you know, just kind of thrown together with a yeah. a bunk and you in know. the mountains, or is it pretty flat? No, it was flat where we were. Okay, yeah. Any job? Uh, any hostility? Like, was there any resistance that you were facing while you were there? Was it pretty chill? Um, not at first. Um, my post was pretty simple. It was just. Um, a lot of asset protection and assets I didn't get to see, but you know, you've got operators and you have special operators and then you have people that actually know what they're doing. I was just a, you know, a body. So no one special. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, that's pretty special to me. Pretty did unique. You, did you know anybody that went with you or did you just, you just alone? You just did it. At first I was alone. Um, I, one of my best friends, um, Actually, uh, he was a Marine, and um, after his after his time was over um, in the Marine Corps, he went home, and I kind of talked him into applying, and they obviously hired him immediately. Yeah. Yeah, and then that's who pretty much I, I spent most of my time with. And you were in Afghanistan for how long? Um, almost seven years. Okay. Wow. Wow. That is a long time. Yeah. You didn't come back home? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're over there on hitches. It's a job. So, I mean, okay. you're over there for weeks or months at a time. They send you home for a week or two, and then they're like, hey, you know, time for you to come back. And, okay. You know, um, I didn't have a lot of tie downs here, you know, in between the time. So, and that was, and the money years. was just stupid good. So, yeah. Um, what years was that that you were there? Um, I left late. Early 2004 to late 2012, mid-2012. Okay. And you were fortunate enough you didn't have to engage in any conflict? Um, Unfortunately, no. I I did see some combat. Okay. Yeah. Was that towards the end? Yes. Okay. How, if... How, if at all, as we, again, I know we're moving into how you got to Paragould and the the mixed martial arts and all that, how at all did the combat, if at all, did it impact you in kind of your journey? 
your outlook emotionally, mentally, all that? Honestly, to be real with you, the the combat didn't bother me too much. Anytime I was in a conflictual situation, everything just kind of slowed down. And with lack of a better term, it just – I'm not going to say I was good at it. I wasn't. But um, I was comfortable in the situation. Any kind of chaos was just – natural for me why do you think that is i think it has to do with your background i don't know because the reason i asked that is i had a good friend uh who unfortunately took his life a couple years ago um he was an army ranger Mm -hmm. uh lived in washington and uh, actually led a platoon in afghanistan uh but he said that in battle even the rangers right you're trained and they're some of the best the best at what they do and even if you go through the simulators and, and all that and training, like you just don't know how anybody's going to respond until they are there and they get shot at. And he's like, some of the guys that you thought were the toughest of the tough would literally like be in a corner, like crying, like wanting their mom, like mm-hmm. as soon as the first shots. And he's like, and it really was it, the way he talked about it. He's like, I don't think you could even say like it was that guy's fault. It's just like, he was just saying, it, it seems like some people's minds are just built differently, and you just don't know what's going to happen until you get there. Like, would you agree with that? Is I that would. Your experience? I would. There's there were several men that I worked with closely that um, I thought for sure would, you know, stay on their ground, and you know, didn't. So, yeah. Do you think any of it has to do with like accepting death? Like before you enter it, like you know, I could die, and if I die, I die. You know, it's kind of weird. I never really accepted it as as even an option. Um, I was so focused on protecting and doing my job that, to me, it was just part of the job. It was, you know, kind of like when you go to the barbershop and you go to work. If you get cut, well, it's not a big deal. It's just part of your job. Throw a Band-Aid on it and keep going. <laughs> it's know? a different mindset. It's <laughs> like, I can go there with you on the getting cut, but like getting shot at. I'm, not, on I'm never going to be like, if I get hit, I get hit. You know, you know, if you're if you're smart enough and you pay attention to your training and you ask questions and you uh, continue to have the mindset that, you know, you're not the best guy out here. So pick the brain of the people who mm-hmm. have been there and have done it and, you know, do what they tell you to do. Yeah, and that's a very important lesson because, you know, I've just finished a um, a memoir by John Glenn, who was the first astronaut that was sent into space. That's crazy to think about, by mm-hmm. the way. Like the first guy who was like, I'm going to sit on this, this explosive. and you're No gonna one's s- ever done it. Exactly. You're going to send me into space. Yeah, sure. And he said, people always ask me whenever it's, you're getting launched, which is just crazy, the amount of force it's put on your body. And, like, you're, it's insane. And um, stuff's blowing up behind you. Like, I'm not sure that's normal. But he's people ask me, like, were you scared? And he said, honestly, I wasn't. And he said, the reason why is because of the training. He's like, we had literally gone through everything. And if this happens, then we do this. And if that happens, we do this. And here's a backup plan to the backup plan to the backup plan. He's like, you knew it inside and out, forwards and backwards. And he says in his book, that's the antidote to fear. Is if you, and it sounds kind of like what you're saying. Like there's, you received a lot of training and then you found the people who were smarter than you and you were going and asking a bunch of questions. Mm-hmm. And you learn your job so well, it gives a little bit of confidence. Well, and I'm very, I, I try to see everything, you know, and, and there was lots of, actual military personnel over there that, I mean, uh, 
we had the uh, privilege of meeting and watching some of those guys go through some of their drills and, you know, uh, a lot of their training, I mean, was nothing compared to, you know, the, the peon training we got. These guys were, these guys were top notch. Oh yeah. Big time. So seven years passes, you come back to Missouri, I'm guessing. Um, yeah. And try to figure out, all right, now what? Yeah. So (laughs) I am, um, I had dabbled when I was in college with mixed martial arts. Um, a lot of our football players took jujitsu to help with their flexibility, dexterity, you know, things like that, you know, weight loss, speed. Um, so uh, when I was in college, you know, I, I took jiu-jitsu classes, uh, jiu-jitsu classes with them. And um, one day in college, the guys decided to go to a place called Whiskey Tango um, it was in Green Valley, just outside Kansas City, Missouri, and they were having uh, open fight nights. And meaning, like anybody that wants to come and fight. Yeah, fight. you sign a waiver, you throw the gloves on, and you get in the cage. Yeah, <laughs> which is insane if you think about it. <laughs> so we thought it'd white be a good classes? time. No white classes. No. <laughs> it's like old school UFC. Yeah, yeah that's what the, that's what the waivers were for. You know. <laughs> so. Uh, we went to check it out, you know, we were drinking some beer, we was having a good time, and um, we, uh, one of the guys I played football with, his uncle actually owned the place, so, you know, as long as we wasn't making a bunch of noise and being belligerent and things like that, we could slide right under the table, you know, because obviously we wasn't old enough to drink, per se, so, um, but... As soon as we got there, the guys were like, hey, you know, Jerry, because I was one of the biggest guys that went with them. And they were like, hey, why don't you get in the cage? I'm like, no way. <laughs> no way. These guys are they're like, Here's these guys are monsters. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I don't have to put on gloves to get in the cage to prove I'm somebody. Mm-hmm. Of course, that was just an excuse because I didn't want to get in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the night went on, and we were watching the fights, and – you know, a couple of fighters. I was like, oh, I could probably take that guy. <laughs> you're sizing, your, you're sizing yeah. yourself up as you're like, no way, guys. Exactly. And then the next fight later, I just watched him annihilate someone twice my size. I'm like, oh, well, I'm glad I didn't cage with him. But <clears throat> as the night went on, more liquid courage I got in me. And they finally <laughs> talked me into signing the waiver and putting some gloves on. And yeah. it, went, it went all right? Yeah. It went pretty good. Were you using jiu-jitsu at that point or just striking? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, I was – I've always been kind of a good little brawler, but with no technique whatsoever. I just – I was fast and I could see things. But jiu-jitsu was really um, the facet that I used. So you had your taste of it before you went to Afghanistan? Yeah, just a little taste. It was just – I mean, the lowest level of MMA you can get, you yep. know, I don't know if you've ever seen here comes the boom or not, but yeah. you know, where he sees chickens running around, it's just about basically <laughs> <laughs> broken cages and gloves that are falling apart. It was terrible, but it was fun. But it gave you enough of a taste that I guess when you came back, did you get back into it? I did. Um, I actually had a friend that was uh, fighting professionally and um, I actually just, I found him and I started training with him and uh, we were about the same size. So he used me to spar with and things like that. And I started getting pretty good. And um, I found Nemesis Fight League out of Saxton, Missouri. And home of the throne rose. That's it. (laughs) 
Lambert. I think. Yeah, we're yeah. getting close to Paragol now. Yeah, and I started uh, started fighting with that uh, that promotion, and then I found another promotion and another promotion, and I think Cage of Honor. Um, I started fighting with them 2013. Was that considered professional at that point? Negative. I'm still an amateur okay. at this point. Yeah, and um, I trained for a while, and I decided, you know what? Let's give it a shot, and pretty soon I was winning one right after the other. Uh, I was lucky enough to have some good opponents, and one of the opponents that I had was a Jeet Kune Do instructor out of Paragould, Arkansas. His name was Kenny Molden, and um, I fought him. I wouldn't exactly say fought. Um, the guy sprinted at me from across the cage and as soon as he did I just laid one right on his temple and poor guy went out it was a four second fight wow yeah that's and a short fight it was it was and you're uh, probably jumping all over the place like, yeah who's look, the man if you look me up on tapology honestly I thought it was faster than that but it was his four second fight and uh I hurt him pretty bad and if you go back and look at the pictures of you know the the uh the referee Joey Tinsley with my arm in the air. You can see at the bottom of the picture the EMTs are still working on it. Really? Yeah. How do you find that picture? Robert's googling um, it right now. Look up. You can do it, by Cage the way. That's, that's Bruce Lee's style, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now it's Cage of Honor. Cage of Honors. It was Don Davis Jr. owned it at the time, so you'd have to probably look up. You'll probably have to go to his Facebook page. I don't know if he took it down or not. Then he sold it to. Uh, um, Brad Wick, Brad Wick Sr. is who uh, bought it from him. But so if I anybody can find it. Robert will pull it up. Yeah. So if uh, I probably start with Tapology, if you go to Tapology and look up my name under fighters, you could, Tapology. Yeah, you could go to the uh, the link there and find me and Kenny Malden. It'll show the fight duration, how I won, and you might be able to find some pictures off that but anyway so, he went out yeah yeah um what did it do what did it do to him i fractured his orbital bone where's that at? Oh, that's, that's right here oh right yeah and um so he went to the hospital and instead of going to the after party i kind of followed him to the hospital i felt pretty bad his wife and his newborn daughter were there and i felt pretty pretty Came small the- about it Yep, that was on uh, April 14th, 2012. 2012, okay, yeah. 2012. Yeah. No pictures, huh? Nah, I'm not, I don't see a picture yet, but I'm okay. going to find one. <laughs> um, so I followed him to the hospital, and, you know, long story short, we became friends and established a pretty good friendship, and um, we stayed connected throughout the years, and um, COVID hit, and him and his family were, you know, kind of in a tough spot, and... I was in a tough spot, and he was like, you know what, why don't you come down here and, you know, live with me for a while and kind of help each other out. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So I come down here. Two, it'll be two years this October um, I come down here, and he helped me. I helped him, and uh, it was just going to be temporary, and I just ended up staying. Mm. That's how I got the Paragold. Mm. You're a pretty loyal friend. Did you say that about yourself? I am. What others said about you? I am. It seems that way. That sounds like it. 
Um, yeah, I, I won't go into the details of the phone call. But I can I, be a butthole, but I'm loyal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, it's interesting. We talked about this before you came. Whenever I guess we saw it, uh, we talked on Friday. But, you know, I don't think you know Max Bishop, but Max... I don't know Max personally. Um, I bumped into him uh, once... Honestly, on on a fire call, I worked for Northeast Fire and Rescue, and we were fighting a fire out at um, Scatter Creek. It's basically across the road from where he lives, and uh, we were wrapping things up, and him and another guy kind of trot up on horses, and um, I just I spoke with him briefly, but I don't know him. I just well, a lot of people, and Max, would, I'd say this if he was here and he would agree, a lot of people don't like Max, and they think he's a, a jerk, and, 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 you know, I think he would even say, yeah, I can be that. And uh, But if you get to know Max's story, uh, there's a, a, a he's loyal to his friends, and I have a whole lot of them, but he's loyal <laughs> Loyal to him, and I just think it's interesting. I don't know if it's y'all's similar backgrounds, that if it's totally coincidental, if it's jujitsu, if it's if they're, you're, they're all fighters. It's really interesting about that. I don't know. There's there's actually a lot of people out there that fight that shouldn't, or I don't know. As far as the loyalty goes, it's just something that was either you have it or you don't. Either that's part of your character, or or it's not. It's important to you though. It is because um, there's some things you can't take with you and there's a legacy you leave behind and I haven't always been a good friend. Um, there's been times in my life when I was not a good friend and that's not the person that I want to be. That's not the person who I want people to remember. Mm. And being loyal and committed to uh, a friend is important to me. Um It just means the world to me. Yeah. You know, if if anything, when, I, when I'm gone, I want people to say, hey, he was a good father, he was a good friend, and a good barber in that order. Mm, that's great. I got a chance to, when you were cutting my hair, I know a guy called, just asked for some help with, some, uh, with a pet that he was struggling with, and the pet was sick and yeah. whatnot, and just listening to the end of that phone call, and... You're talking about you were going to go over there and you were going to help out. And, yeah. You know, you were trying to even comfort this guy because he was sad because, you know, his dog is sick and all that. But anyways, just even in that conversation, I thought you handled it. Uh, you were very gentle um, and kind and compassionate and empathetic. I oh, that thank was, you. I, I appreciate that I didn't was, realize. I didn't realize I was that loud on the phone. But yeah. 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 So when did you decide to become a barber? Did you know you were going to do that when you moved to Paragold? Um, I was actually, I, I went to college to be a barber before I came to Paragold, before COVID hit, all that stuff. Um, I had, uh, I've been cutting hair for a long time, just kind of on my own, either out of my house or mm-hmm. out of my gym, you know, things like that, just because I always, I was good at it, and I like cutting hair. I just, I've always liked doing it, so um, I finally... In 2017, November 2017, I enrolled. Um, that July, I graduated, took my boards, and became a professional barber. Nice. And, I mean, I've been cutting hair for years and years and years. I mean, for a long time, since I was in high school. 
since 1999 i've been cutting hair and are you the only barber shop in Perryville? negative um I, there is another barber shop called boneheads um over on the west side of town super great barber his name's grant um great barber shop the guy's got tons of talent um he does appointments i do walk-ins excellent yeah well you did a good job on my hair so thank you for that well you're very welcome um Everyone who goes to Grant as well is very pleased. He's, um, I know I've sent him some clientele. He sent me some. Um, we don't talk a lot. Um, I think I talked to him once when I first moved here, um, but he wasn't interested in bringing another barber in his barbershop. And honestly, I don't blame him. Um, but he is, um, he's well known here in town. I think he's won a couple awards, which I'm positive he deserves. But. Um, yeah, he does a great job. What have you um, enjoyed about Paraworld since you've been here? The community has welcomed me with open arms. This, this, the Paragold community has given me a sense of home. I've, I've never had that honestly. Mm. I've always been a bit of a gypsy. I've never felt like I belonged anywhere, mm. and the almost two years I've spent here has been probably the most rewarding time I've spent in any town. Mm. Um, every, obviously you're going to meet, you know, you're going to have contact with some people that are just, you know, but was going to steal your stuff. Yeah. But 90% of the people that I've met here in this town have done nothing but guide me, love me and welcome me to this community. and, And they've done everything they can to help me. That's excellent, man. For those that want to find your barbershop that might be interested, how do they do that? Um, so I am at 1105 East Kings Highway. Um, I am in between the old Paws building and I think a, a little shop called the Cement Pond. Um, I'm on 12th and East Kings Highway right before you get to the bypass. Excellent. Kind of in between the Sitco and the Exxon there on the left. Can they side. schedule an appointment or walk-in only? Walk-ins only. Okay. Um, you just come in, and our turnaround's pretty quick. I got help in there now. And uh, between the two of us, I mean, we're cutting heads, you know, 15, 20 minutes at a time. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I'd love to end here, Jerry, with some rapid-fire questions like we do with all the guests that come Okay. On. So is that cool with you? Shoot. All right. Number one, what is the last uh, show or movie you watched? Or what is the last book you read? Um, I, I can give you both. The last big movie I watched was Top Gun. It was amazing. The new one? Yes. It is excellent. Oh, my gosh. Um, I There's not too many movies that I would go pay for twice to go to the theaters and watch, and I would definitely go again. Yeah, Very so. good, man. I yeah. went with my wife. She loved it as well. You and Allison twice. went, right? Twice. That's right. It's the first movie I've paid for twice in See, I don't know how many. Did you get popcorn both A times? decade. No. I don't do popcorn in movies. You don't? No. I did not know that about you. No. Cheapskate. Wow. <laughs> this guy also has a uh, walk-behind mower that is not self-propelled. <laughs> I'm like, bro. Do you he, know how much he's like, I paid those? T- he's like, I only paid 250 for it. I was like, well, another 100 <laughs> and you could have got self-propelled. Well, some good news. My loving father-in-law just actually today, about an hour before I come up here, gave me his zero-turn Cub Cadet. Whoa! Yes. Whoa! Rub that yeah. in my face. Come on, father-in-law. I just it broke was- my mower <laughs> last night, so I'll see you at the house. It no was, way. yeah, I took a picture of it. It's great. Mm, yeah. Mine was zero-turn, too, though. I was, 
Hmm? Mine will zero turn too, though. Oh, I'm sure it will. But I have a I have a very loving uh, family that's accepted me. Um, my wife Kate. I gave you a cup cadet, man. Yeah, yeah. My wife Kate. She's been an absolute treasure in my life. Um, she. Uh, I definitely don't deserve her. You know, I'm also part of a very well known writing club here in town called the Saints and Sinners. They do a yeah, lot yeah. of stuff for the yeah. children's. Uh, Arkansas Children's Hospital, yeah. um, great guys, um, best friends with most of them. Um, it's excellent. Yeah, I love them. Well, that certainly helps with the feeling of probably getting plugged in, man. You find a significant mm-hmm. other while you're here, you're, you know, a part of a club. That's great. Um, and I definitely share your love for Top Gun. Amen. Man, yeah. That's very good. Great man. Uh, what is your favorite band or just favorite song? Um, I have to say Breaking Benjamin, and the song is called Failure. Yeah, I know the band. Favorite meal? Um, my favorite meal? You know, anything Italian? Oh, you <laughs> me oh, as a guy yes. that'd be a good cook. Because I, yes, you seem like you, you pay attention to detail, you care about art. Uh, I don't know. That's a good read. That's a good yeah. read, buddy. I, I make my own Alfredo sauce. It's, oh, very good. Very, very heavy on the on the old love handles, but uh, <laughs> I thought you were gonna say you heavy won't on forget the it. It's good enough to put on your Cheerios, buddy. Man. Oh, oh man, that's good stuff. I like that. Dang, that is good. Um, all right, what is on your nightstand right now? Um, a back scratcher. Oh, <laughs> um, my book, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. That's a fantastic Aye. book. Yeah. yeah, and um, probably my. My Apple Watch charger. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. For those who are listening, Green Lights is worth your time. So I've heard someone say that you uh, that's the best audio book yes, they've ever heard. I've got the book on my shelf, but it's better to listen to him read it. It's, such it's a, hilarious. Some of it's you know a little vulgar here and there, whatever for my taste, but the majority of it is absolutely hilarious. And there's some good insights in there. But the stories he tells, I'm like, no way, this yeah. cannot be true. But if you go and read his book, he actually has pictures that go with a lot of the stories. There are a lot of pictures in the book, yeah. uh, believe it or not. But, yeah, I'm sure he can give it some uh, some color if he read it himself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good, man. Um, all right. Give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Honestly, it would have to be this Father's Day. Um, this Father's Day, I had all of my children, my loving wife, and my, um, I have a baby on the way. Congrats. Congratulations. I have literally all my children under one roof for the first time, and I can't tell you how long was this Father's Day. And that was probably, yeah. That's special. It brings me great joy. It's amazing how often... The response to those questions is something about family, isn't it? Oh, in mm-hmm. a world where we chase after the American dream and we're told mm-hmm. happiness is found in more yep. money and big, you know, everything. It's like what it all comes down to it. People's like family, friendship. So last question. Um, what's one thing that you're deeply grateful for right now? I would have to say... Gosh, it's, it's it's so hard to narrow it down. Um, probably what I'm most grateful for is 
the opportunity to become the man that I'm becoming because of who I chose to marry. Mm. Without without my wife, I wouldn't have tapped into the man I am now. Mm. She she showed me that I that I am him. I'm just not you know, it's not just scratching the surface, it's it's who I really am. And she made me realize that. And without without that I wouldn't have taken the responsibility or looked inside to do the things that I've done in the past almost two years, which is, you know, have my kids, pursue my career, um, take care of my community, give back, um, and just follow through. Mm. The power of somebody seeing something in you before you... Can't even see it in yourself. The unconditional love that comes out of this woman's amazing. It's I I honestly thought it was all just BS and, you know, storybook, whatever, but this girl is just good for the sake of being good. And, you know, after meeting her parents, Dave and Julie, um, I can see why. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. Man, I hope that we um <clears throat> I hope we get a chance to interact more. So I really enjoy. I do too. I, really I do too. Enjoy getting to hang out with you and uh, plan to come back and get my haircut soon. And so um, thanks so much for making the time to be here. I appreciate you having me. All right. And Jerry Ballou has left the building. Such an enjoyable man. And that was a, the whole experience was enjoyable. He was an enjoyable person first off and good storyteller. He's a great storyteller. I, I, what he said was interesting, and he was good at telling it. You know what I mean? Like, I was riveted. And and there were so many threads that I could have pulled. Literally could have gone a little thing. bit longer on several points. So definitely need to have him back on at some point. Yeah, open invitation here. Yeah. Hey, if you're still listening, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, if you've not done so, please check us out on Facebook. Give us a like. Give us a follow. We're also on Instagram. And uh, let's see, Robert, anything else? Do we don't do we sort of the email subscribing? Yeah. Now? Okay. Yeah, go to our website. Uh, Paragolpodcast.com. Yeah, that's right. And if you've not already done so, please give us a five-star rating very on important. iTunes. It's very important because it helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people living here in Paragold. So, as always, thanks for listening. Until next time.